Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the Greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as On les Parents Parle, which is our new French edition. I'm 42-year-old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is two and a half, and Nathan, who is almost one. Today, we're talking about struggles with breastfeeding. So let's go around the table and let's introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old and mom to Hudson, who is just over two years old, and I'm expecting a baby girl in March. I'm Roxana Farnsworth. I am an IBCLC. I'm 34, almost 35, and I have three kids. Uh, Liam is six. Oh, I did that in the middle. Kian's nine and Asher's three. And I got into my work because I struggled with breastfeeding with my first. And at the time, I thought there has to be a better way to do this. So I started volunteering with Lily Chain League, and then I started the road to becoming an IBCLC. What's IBCLC? Yeah, it's an International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So a lot of people go for LC for short, but the designation is uh, important to kind of acknowledge because a lot of people say, oh, they can support breastfeeding, but this is the only kind of governed, credentialed, and certified position. Um, I like what I do because of the way I get to do it. I love supporting parents in that transition and really creating plans that acknowledge the parent as the expert for their body and their baby. I really like what I do. That's awesome. We can feel that. (laughs) So what are some common reason people struggle with breastfeeding? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that I think causes struggles is assuming that because breastfeeding is natural, that it'll automatically be easy. I did that myself. I was pregnant and I told my mom, well, like I'm going to breastfeed because my mom breastfed and I have boobs and the baby's going to come out and I'm just going to feed the baby with them. And my mom kind of laughed at me and she's like, ha ha, like maybe go check out a, a Lelechi League meeting. And I was like, no, no, I don't need that. And I went anyway. And I'm glad I did because baby came out and didn't know how to latch and I had a really hard time. So I, I think that when parents assume that because it's natural or biologically, we're mammals, we're designed to make milk, it's just going to work. It sets you up for not expecting to need support or to know what to expect. And that um, is easily remedied by, I always suggest for parents to go be around breastfeeding parents when they are pregnant, go to the late meetings, hang out with friends or family that have breastfed that are breastfeeding, ask questions, read books, and take a class, take a prenatal um, prepare to breastfeed class, learn about what um, happens to your breasts, what happens to the baby, so you know what's normal know what to expect so that when you know what to expect, if something kind of deviates from that, you know, Hey, that's a good red flag. I need more help. Um, a big one that kind of comes off of that for reasons why people struggle, I think is support and a lack of it right now. Um, it's really hard to find good support and how we navigate the support in BC in particular is kind of challenging. 
I get asked this a lot, you know, is breastfeeding struggles new? And I always tell people, no, it's not. So what is new is a lack of support for breastfeeding families. And I think that comes from also nuclear families. So having that isolation, family units feeling, especially um, parents feeling like they have to do it all themselves. So not having the help of friends and family nearby, they're isolated, right? Where um, in history, you weren't isolated. In order to survive, you had to have your village and your family, but your family was huge. It comprised of neighbors and cousins and aunts and uncles, and you kind of had the support system built in automatically. Now, if you don't pay for your support or you don't work really hard to build your support, you don't have it. And that at, it, usually who suffers is the children and the parents, right? Because they're trying to do something and it's not working and they don't know who to go to. So it's not, somebody once told me it's the sense of, oh, you know, we don't see breastfeeding anymore. So that's why women struggle with breastfeeding or we've lost our instinct to breastfeed. And I'm like, no, no, it's just, that's not it. It is a lack of support early and often and consistent and quality support is seriously lacking around the world, but especially like in the U.S. here and even throughout like the U.K. What is one of the most common problem in Do you have any tips for those problems? So one of the first things I tell parents is um, if within the first couple weeks of life, you are having um, any type of pain, pain is a good reason to from your body to stop, evaluate, and get more support. Breastfeeding should never hurt. If it hurts, it's a sign that something's wrong. And the first thing we need to look at when something's wrong is anatomy and physiology. And I think that's really, really missed right now. And so the first thing that I do is I look in a baby's mouth. So I do an infant oral assessment, we do a breast assessment, and we do a breastfeeding assessment. So I observe a breastfeed to watch. How is this baby doing what they're doing? So I'm, I'm sharing that because one of the common things that I deal with in my private practice is oral ties. And unfortunately, it is being missed at an alarming rate right now in BC um, because people aren't doing infant oral assessments. When a mom says, my, you know, my nipples hurt really bad, they're cut, they're bleeding, they're raw, whatever. Um, but then the nurse is like, I, I get this a lot from my clients, whether it's a nurse, a friend, a family, a doctor, a midwife, whatever. They're like, the latch looks good. So what I tell people is I don't care what it looks like. What it looks like doesn't tell me anything. How it feels is everything. What a baby does on the breast is what matters. So I tell parents, look, I don't care how often a baby comes to the breast. I don't care what they, I don't care how short or long they're on the breast. I care what they do when they're on you. And that is where we have to start. So for me, the first thing I'm asking parents when they're struggling is looking at their history. And, and a, a very common thing I see in my practice is ties. And that is something that, I think parents have a lot of emotions about because they've been struggling for a while by the time they come to me and they've been told, try this position or, you know, take this herb or do this thing to the baby. And you can't make a baby or a breast do something that anatomy doesn't allow it to do. So when you say tie, you mean tongue tie, lip tie, Yeah. That's the main problem you're saying, right? Yeah. So it, we all have, and I, I, this is kind of a big can of worms, but I'm going to kind of go there a little bit. Um, we all have frenulum. So frenulum is the connection under the upper lip and under the tongue. We call it uh, a tethered oral tie or tissue when that connection impedes function. So if a baby can't breastfeed or 
is compensating um, by using their gums and jaw so much that they're hurting the mum, that is affecting their function of the mouth. So that is when we would call it a tie. And it usually pertains to both the tongue and lip. As a dental hygienist, <laughs> we uh, have this conversation quite often with the mom, especially when they're pregnant in their my chair. I always say it's something you have to look for. If it's not working well with breastfeeding, talk to your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Because we see it often they're sent to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. To the dentist, yeah. right? So what can parents do to prepare for breastfeeding during pregnancy? Yeah, that's I. we know that statistics speak... To most parents decide how they're going to feed their baby in the middle of their pregnancy. So once you decide how you want to feed your baby, educate is so crucial. Read some good books. Um, my favorites are from the Leche League International. They have two really great books I really like. Um, the Womanly Art of Breastfeeding and Sweet Sleep. Dr. Jack Newman has a good book. But I, what I like about these books is they're not prescriptive. They're, you can put them on the table and if you don't open them up fine but if you have an issue you could go to that issue and, and learn about it um, the other thing again is be around other breastfeeding families ask questions um, learn about your anatomy learn about what is normal how often should a baby be breastfeeding uh, what should they do on the breast how should it feel how should it not feel really learning about the time commitment of what is normal and the physical commitment of what is normal will really, really help parents know, okay, here's um, some red flags and have support systems lined up. My favorite book, and I really wish I would have read this when I had my first, but it didn't exist, is called uh, The Fourth Trimester by Kimberly Ann Johnson. And she talks, it's all about the mother's experience of the fourth trimester, not the baby. There's lots of books about the baby, but nothing about the woman who just gave birth or the person who just gave birth. So this book actually highlights how important it is to have a postpartum plan for you. And I'm so much about that. I'm all about really how are you taking care of yourself mentally, physically, um, so that you can take care of your baby. And we forget that with breastfeeding. We think, well, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to feed this baby, but at what expense to you? So in my practice, I constantly remind parents, you matter too. You have to matter Two, or it's not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable. So I, I that's my favorite um, go-to book right now for new parents who are expecting and want to breastfeed is that book as a starting point. And then build your numbers for support. Get, you know, if doulas are your thing, get a birth doula, get a postpartum doula, spend more money on the afterbirth stuff, get food lined up. Who can you call if you're having a hard time with breastfeeding and, and put them in your and your partner's phones so that you have good access. A thing that I tell all expectant parents is to get lacked med on their phone and mother risk because a lot of healthcare professionals aren't current with what is and is not safe. And you can look it up really quickly. That's all they're going to do. So you can kind of do that uh, as you go and know right in the moment what if something isn't safe or if somebody's telling you, hey, you can't breastfeed. If you take that, you can look it up and go, oh, yeah, I can. But that's um, good some foundational resources. Heather, how was your breastfeeding experience with Hudson? Have you had any problem or? Yeah, well, for me, I'd actually had a breast reduction before having children. Um, so I knew that that could possibly pose issues with breastfeeding. I would potentially not be able to at all, or it could definitely affect it. Um, so when Hudson was born, um, he was actually supplemented with formula right away because of jaundice. 
So I was definitely breastfeeding in conjunction with this. But at home, I felt like I wasn't producing very much. We struggled a bit with the latch. Um, one side was definitely easier than the other. And but it was really for me, I was just like, I didn't feel like I was getting enough. And I was really wanting to primarily breastfeed. Um, so and I struggled like pumping just didn't do anything for me. But then I also found out finally, once I got support that some people just don't react as well to breath like to pumping, right? You just don't pump well where what the baby's doing naturally, you can actually make a lot more milk that way. So um, I actually ended up finally calling Roxana <laughs> and she came over and helped me understand and that, you know, what kind of where the glands were and she was like, yeah, yeah, you're good this side and that side. And, you know, and it was really reassuring to kind of find out that, okay, like things are going normal. <laughs> and then also I, at that point, just kind of left pumping and it like, that was like a huge, like, huh, big thing because <laughs> I'd put so much pressure on that and I wasn't being productive with it. And I just went, basically, I'd have Hudson on both breasts, pass him over to Bruce. And then, you know, he would be formula feeding. Well, I sat and pumped for like another hour and it was just horrible. And it was barely getting half an ounce. Like, <laughs> it was just so draining. That is discouraging. <laughs> it was very discouraging, very draining. And I was just exhausted. And yeah, and I once I finally gave that up, and actually one tool that helped me out was, um, it's called the Haka. And it's like a silicone cup that basically just suctions onto your boob. And that I was able to get way more out of than the big fancy rented pumps. <laughs> so something very simple like that. And that's when I went away later on um, when Hudson was around nine months old. We went away for the weekend. And to keep up my supply, I just used that. And I just self-manually pump it. And that was great. So yeah, just definitely talking to people and you know, and finding out what different tricks are and definitely not being afraid to ask for help definitely helped me and felt, I felt so much better just that one meeting and I was like, huh, <laughs> just felt like the weight of the world was kind of off me and I could kind of just relax into it and also getting new positions to breastfeed in as well. So that was also very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. For Alex, it was my first son, so it was all about learning. I took a prenatal class and I took an extra class that was a breastfeeding class. So I had all this under my belt, but when you face with it, it's hard the first time, like the how to latch and everything. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, uh, the, the nurse, the community nurse helped me a lot. And then what I want to say, it's my second child. I thought, I've done this for a year the first time. I know it all. And uh, surprise, surprise, the <laughs> second time I had forgotten a few things. And so when again, I went to the community nurse, she was asking me, how's breastfeeding? I said, well, it, it's good, but you know, I'm in the first little bit, you nipple a little crack, it hurts a little bit. And she reviewed everything and it was definitely a few things I had forgotten. So I do recommend, like Roxana was saying, if it hurts, it doesn't matter if it's number one, two, three, four child, go check. Mm-hmm. Ask for people around you because, yeah, it, yeah, my nipples were <laughs> quite sore. And uh, after that little coaching, I did feel much better. I remember one of the first clients I had in the first year of my practice, she called me and when I was taking her health intake form, I got to the part with how many kids and it was her seventh kid. And I thought, why am I coming? Like I had, I had no idea like what I could offer this mom. And what I realized when I walked in the door was it, it doesn't matter if it's your first or seventh, sometimes you just need support 
to and every child is different and every too. child is different and your breasts change each pregnancy your breasts change so what was not an issue with one might become an issue with the second or third and it is also the hormones of having a baby you're not all there i had i remember right after having my third um my uh, birth attendant was like well i know you're an lc and um, she's like, she was afraid to help me because, you know, of who I am. And I was like, no, what? Just to say it. And she said, well, you know, your baby's stomach is facing the opposite way as your body. And latching like that might not be the best. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm looking down like, of course, I tummy to mummy. Yep, I got this. <laughs> so no one's perfect. Even in LC, I needed help after my third. But it was, for me, it was realizing how it's so it's one thing to struggle but it's another thing to struggle and get crap support and that is what happened with my first is I kept reaching out I had cracked bleeding nipples a baby that wasn't latching I was determined to breastfeed this this was going to happen and everyone just kept telling me to keep going which is not okay there is there was something wrong with my first son he had tongue tie and he couldn't latch without hurting me but nobody was looking at him everyone was like oh yeah you're fine you're good just keep going and it was an awful experience. And what I realized was when I became an LC, I wanted to be the person I wished I would have had with my first. And that's what I aim for when I work with clients is meeting that parent where they're at, where are they at right now? What are they capable of right now? And what are their goals? Because each parent's goals are different. I have lots of clients who choose to become exclusive pumpers. And I have clients who loathe the pump. And I we talk about divorcing the pump like we did with Heather. <laughs> We're like, let's get rid of the pump because it was really triggering anxiety. And it's not necessary in any relationship. We can always find ways. We always have options. That's my job is to provide you with information that's evidence-based, that's current, and then talk to you about what you want to do and how you want to get that done. Is there any local supports for moms? Yeah, there's there's um, very few options, but we're working on creating more. So right now, La Leche League is free. It's a nonprofit organization. They have Facebook groups typically. They do free phone support, and they have free meetings. So I am a volunteer still. I'm a La Leche League leader, and I typically try to aim to be at a meeting at least every other month. So there's several other leaders that also lead meetings. In the Tri-Cities area, we have two a month, which is awesome. You also have access to public health. They're changing the funding right now with some of the public health and breastfeeding support. So I'm not sure where that's going in the future. Um, we still have some uh, BC women's, uh, the drop-in. I believe the last time I asked, they had a five-week wait to get in. Um, there is also the Vancouver Breastfeeding Clinic, and that is, I, I say hesitantly, it is MSP covered. So that's typically, if you go to your doctor, that's who you'll get a referral to. My issue is um, I get a lot of people who have seen their midwives, have seen their nurses, public health nurses, and GPs, and then go to the Vancouver Breastfeeding Clinic and then come to me. So if they work, I'm happy. I'm so grateful. I want that support to work and to feel good. Unfortunately, that's not the case. I have a lot of, of people feeling really dismissed by them, and that matters to me. So I will share that's what we have. It's not always the best. A lot of LCs are 
in who are in private practice are also, if they're not involved with something like the Leche League, they tend to run their own um, breastfeeding cafes. I know there's one in Mission. I know Surrey Community Birth Center uh, runs uh, something similar as well. So it's it's kind of tricky to find right now, but they are starting to crop up more because that need is still there. It is very much community-based and then private practice, which is unfortunate. Any tips for our listeners that are not in BC? Yeah, look it up. Go through your local groups. There, so in the U.S., there's um, Breastfeeding USA. There's the Leche League. Leche League is international. I tend to start there because leaders and parents tend to know what other good supports are available locally. So typically, like if you call a local-ish to you, Leche League leader, and you're saying, I need hands-on support, they're more likely to know who's a good doctor, who's breastfeeding um, aware, or a good nurse, or a good doula, or whatever. If there's not like a private practicing LC in your area, they're going to know who is going to be the best option. Um, also parent groups. So parent groups for me are double-edged sword. They can be really great and they can be really dangerous. Um, when you're taking anything, if you're asking for support, take it in with a grain of salt and kind of be critical with what you're seeing. So don't just say, you know, Susie Q on um, the local mom group recommends XYZ. Look into it first and see how it feels for you because each person is a little bit different. We can find Roxana on our panel of experts at parenttalk.ca. Roxana, where else can we find you? I have a Facebook business page, um, aconsciousbeginning.com, and I try to keep that current on an Instagram that is not current at all because <laughs> I'm, um, I'm intimidated by it, but oh. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> Good. Roxana will be working on her Instagram. <laughs> Heather, it's time for our conversation card. Can you please pick a card and read it to us? Yes. All right. Let's see what our question is going to be today. All right, ladies. So what nickname would you like? So if I could choose my nickname, yeah. I actually have a lot of nicknames. I grew up, so because my name is Roxana, I've gotten called a lot of things. Um, Rosie, Roxy, Roxanne instead of Roxana, which is fine. Um, when I was, I think I was eight or nine, someone called me the Roxinator, which... <laughs> Is really I don't know why I have a big personality. I'm very short, and my mom always said I I have a presence. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but my my nickname that my cousin gave me when she was little, she couldn't say my name, and so she would call me Zana, and that is um, a very dear kind of nickname that like people like nobody can call me that. Like it has to be like somebody who really loves me. <laughs> but I love it, and I I like um, yeah I like. I write, I sign my cards, all of my cards to my husband are signed Zana. Oh, it's Thanks. so cute. For you, Heather? Well, for me, um, be my name, Heather, one thing I hated was being called Hev. Oh my gosh, don't shorten my name. Not Hedge? <laughs> Not Hedge? Hev. Like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> so, but my last name is Fox. And be, especially because there's a lot of famous foxes. When I was little, I used to, I was, I was such a liar. I used to say to everybody that Michael J. Fox was my uncle. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because we were both born in Burnaby, so that must make him my uncle. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Totally makes sense. Anyways, so I used to totally like trick all my elementary school friends that, yeah, he's my uncle. Anyways, but I've always very been very attached to the last name Fox. And of course, then when we moved to Porco Quitlam, and then of course, the Terry Fox family being very famous in this area and of course famous all around. But I always just really like the name Fox. So when I have, especially 
And then, of course, being a girl and just being flattered when guys would call you Foxy. So that became a nickname kind of throughout kind of the 20s and a lot of mostly my guy friends, but I have girlfriends that also say, hey, Foxy. Like, So I've always kind of liked that just because it felt flattering, but also like it was I saw, your name. It, it was, was my you. name and it was me. And so definitely when it ever came to like social media names, I've always been like Foxy this or like throwing that in there. But I'm like, but of course it gets used up because it's Foxy, right? I'm like, but it's my name, people. <laughs> so I always felt like that was my right to have that. <laughs> I, I think I've been called Foxy Roxy. Foxy, yeah. yeah, yeah Foxy, Roxy, Roxy, yeah. Foxy Roxy. On that coffee cup. It was a coffee cup. So oh, nice. I was like, oh, cool. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, my dad calls me Maya. And it's from Maya the Bee, you know, the show. I don't know if you guys know the show, Maya the Bee. You know it, huh, Roxana? Well, it's a little bee that always all kind of things happens to her. She gets beat up a little bit, but she's strong and she's really resilient. And she <laughs> just does all those things. But I know I was always watching it on TV and my dad called me Maya because of the show. Aww. So, And again today, my dad calls me Maya. Oh, that's so cute. So it's really cute. And, and I like it. Actually, if... One day we have a girl. Well, Maya is probably going to be the name. Aww. My husband loves it too. That would be after my dad's name that he gave me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you, Roxana. And thank you, Heather, for being here. Thank you because you're making a difference in other parents' lives. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. That was fun. <laughs> for our listeners, if you have a question you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the Contact Us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Or you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts or on any other platform. We want to know what you think. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents by sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.